Hey everyone, welcome in to another daily editorial here on the KE Report. In this daily editorial, we're going to be chatting about uh, the short squeeze in silver that we discussed with Craig Hempke just last week. And well, unfortunately, it looks like that short squeeze might have ended, but hey, silver did add on about a buck fifty in just a matter of a few days. We'll also talk about some of the earnings out of majors, including Newmont's earnings today that unfortunately have been quite the selling event for that major craig just a quick comment you were spot on when you were looking at the commitment of traders reports for silver and saying that it looks like there's a bit of a short squeeze setting up we saw that last week as silver went from about 22 dollars up to about 23 and a half it's starting to give back some of that as we're now back at just under 23 dollars Take us through any changes you saw in the COT report for last week for silver. Well, hi, guys. Yeah, you know, in periods like this, you know, when volume is light and trading is light and, you know, nobody really cares, the trends or understanding the historical trends, let's put it that way, in the way that commitment of traders report shifts with price can at least give you some idea what's going on and what to expect going forward. You, of course, can never use commitment of traders data for actual trading. I mean, you think of last week's report. Uh, it was surveyed last Tuesday. Uh, what was that? The 13th. On that day, silver fell 61 cents and open interest was up 6,000 contracts. And you knew it was this big, huge rush of speculator hedge fund shorting. Now, if they had, CFTC had come out and told us that on Wednesday morning, <laughs> we might have been able to go, yeah, let's ride this for a buck and make some money. You had to just kind of go on faith that what we thought was true would be confirmed by Friday when they finally release it 74 hours after the survey. So now what's happened this week? Because we had another survey on Tuesday. Well, all of that fresh shorting that came in the previous week that we saw in Friday's report, a lot of that now is being uh, that got covered, and now we're going to see it reflected in this week's commitment of trades report. Because after silver fell the last couple of weeks, and all those spec shorts came in, this week silver was back up ninety-seven cents. And again, by this week, I mean Wednesday the fourteenth through Tuesday the twentieth. Those five days, and gold's back up as well. And there were a whole bunch of shorting that had come into gold. So what happens again? Price falls. Speculators are shorting. Open interest rises. Price then squeezes back up. Speculators are kind of squeezed out. They have to cover their shorts. And as they do so, open interest falls. And it's this pattern just kind of oscillating back and forth. It would be nice if silver had bottomed and began to extend. It got briefly above the 50-day moving average back on Friday, only to be I mean, jammed right back below at the Asia Open on Sunday night. If it could extend from here and trade above 2350, there's a really nice double bottom at 22 on the chart. Unfortunately, uh, it looks instead like now we're headed back to 22 again. As those very same speculators that were sucked in on the short side two weeks ago, got squeezed last week, are now coming back in on the short side again this week. Ah, uh, Craig, the cyclicality of the traders on both sides of the silver market. It is uh, pretty interesting to watch how the trading action and price action acts after some of these reports come out and when you see the positioning of the banks versus the hedge funds and the tug of war that's always going on there i guess just shifting over into the beleaguered mining stock sector 
which is really what's driving the sentiment more so than I think even the price action in silver or gold. When you look at something like the earnings report, they've kind of been a mixed bag in some of the majors. As Corey mentioned, Newmont today not doing so hot on its numbers as the kingpin leader in the gold mining sector. But some of the other companies like Agnico Eagle or Ken Ross, and even to a lesser extent, Barrick, put out okay numbers. What's your general takeaway from earnings season here with some of the big boy mining companies? Well, I owned a little bit of Newmont. I finally just said, you know what the hell with this today. <laughs> Writing it down. I had a whopping 300 shares of my entire, the people on my site, you know, if you're a subscriber, I post all of my holdings and you could see it across my little IRAs and my SEP IRA and my, you know, personal accounts and stuff like that. So it's not like Newmont was like some big part of what I own. You, know, you just try to diversify against amongst the majors and the juniors and the exploration, you know, how everybody else does. But what a dog. I mean, the, Newmont is back to tr- trading at $32 a share. The last time it was there was back in March and April of 2019. And back then, gold was 50% lower than it is now. And so their primary product has increased in price by 50%. And they've done nothing, obviously, to improve their margins, their ability to spit out what people call free cash flow. I'm no CFA, but when you see that they're all in sustained costs, whatever, 1400 bucks they report, their principal product is above, you know, or near $2,000 the entire time, or actually probably almost above $2,000 the entire time during the quarter. So they're making $500 an ounce on into basic math. You know, I'm sure that it's more complicated than that. And yet they still can't make any money. I mean, it's like, what is, the, I mean, they're, they're, obviously it's a very poorly run company. And I'm sure it's the largest miner in the world. They probably have senior vice presidents and executive vice presidents and councils for this and management of that. And I mean, come on, some point you need to figure out a different business plan. As you said, Shad, there are others that seem to be doing okay, despite the depressed sentiment. So anyway, I just find it frustrating to look at some of these. I'm mad at myself, I guess. I've held it as long as I did. There's still going to be great times for the miners ahead. But man, if, if that doesn't auger you know doing your own homework and and being selective on the ones you own uh i'm not sure what does well the problem here craig is that even with some of the record production numbers record revenue that we've seen uh, none of these majors or maybe one of them or two are at 52 week highs most are right around 52 week lows and quite frankly whether we like it or not the majors are a barometer of broader bigger money interest clearly that interest isn't there i guess because earnings just aren't as good or better than expectations even when they were record levels again still not drawing that money in but as you said gold's at 2000 so where's the disconnect here we can't assume that these miners are all of a sudden going to bring their all-in sustaining costs down to let's say 1200 or a thousand so are we still just kind of sitting here I guess, waiting for that major gold breakout to bring in some money? Well, that requires kind of a long and complicated answer because there's so many things that factor into rising demand for the shares. At its most basic level, it's kind of the old argument of value versus growth, right? Right now, growth is all anybody wants, right? Look at NVIDIA and all the different artificial intelligence stocks. 
you know, and if you don't double your money in six months, you know, what a dope you must be. Where a value stock pays a high dividend, you know, and you can kind of chug along and feel like you, and, and, and that's completely out of favor. I mean, there might be a few what you would consider value companies, not in the mining sector, I'm just as a category that are doing well or attracting funds, but really it's all about growth. And so one, you've got to have a general investment shift in attitude more oriented toward value and away from growth. And we've seen a little bit of that. I've, you know, I've read things on Twitter about Bezos selling $6 billion worth of his Amazon stock and Buffett and Gates uh, repositioning themselves, Stanley Druckenmiller moving into <laughs> Newmont. <laughs> Way to go, Stan. Um, anyway, you, you can start to see some of that, but it's just the perception of a, a risk appetite and where you want to be. So on a largest scale to answer your question, Corey, because there's so much underneath that, that's one of the first things that has to happen. There has to be a, a like a sector rotation. And for now, you, you know, that just doesn't seem to be in the cards. I mean, we might have been on the cusp of that yesterday when everybody was all focused on NVIDIA and their earnings and everything like that. But, I, you know, that I think has been postponed indefinitely again because everybody just chases the Magnificent Four or whatever's left of the Magnificent Seven. I, I, I add one more thing, and it encourage, maybe people can check this out and find it. I, there's a guy I know named Michael Leibowitz who uh, writes articles with another guy at his company called, named Lance Roberts. They write at a, a site called Real Investment Advice. And Michael's a smart guy, and he's been around a long time. And uh, I was talking to him last week, and he said he's working on an article comparing today's investment climate with this Magnificent Seven versus the Nifty 50 from the 70s. And it's been on my mind. I've been talking about that on my site for a couple of years now because there's so many other parallels to the 1970s. You know, where we are and inflation and real interest rates and, you know, malaise and everything else. And that Nifty 50 versus the Magnificent Seven stock market driver has been on my mind too. Anyway, Michael wrote about this. Anybody can probably go look it up. Um, but until we break that Magnificent seven growth biased investing. Maybe we're just doomed to just kind of, you know, continue to be frustrated. That, 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 like I said, that's a big umbrella. And then there's stuff underneath there as to why the shares are doing what they're doing. Yeah, Craig, I do think it's an, a unique market here and no market's ever the same. And a lot of people go backwards in time and try to draw correlations between other periods. But, you know, in other periods of time, there weren't ETFs, there weren't cryptos, there yeah, weren't cannabis yeah. stocks, yeah. there weren't AI stocks. So it's, it's a different environment. But just one more follow up on the companies. You know, when you look at these companies, I think you made a great point that it's a nuanced answer. It's not as simple as just gold price going higher. There's a lot of sentiment that's baked into this, too, because if you look back to 2011, 2010, the margins for these mining companies when they were at record high valuations were between $450 and $600. Well, right now, some of these companies cost are around $1,350, let's say $1,400. Well, gold's at $2,000. That's still a $600 spread. Their valuations are massively, massively different than they were back then. And it's the exact same margins. In 2016, when we saw that big rush that everybody likes to reference, the margins were $450 to $500. Their margins are better now than they were then. Yeah. So even if gold takes off $100 or $200, yes, it's going to help. But it, it seems like it's more of a sentiment thing, that the sentiment is not there because people are making money elsewhere. How much do you think sentiment plays into these valuations versus just strictly looking at the margins, which are honestly no different than they were. They're even better than they were in prior periods where the valuations were much better. Yeah. And, and Chad, I think that goes to what we were just talking about. Is it, you know, it's just a sector. Why would I even fiddle around with that? Especially when you said that, as you said, there are now other uh, alternatives 
that are siphoning off demand, you know, where, you know, it used to be even 15 years ago, 10 years ago. Well, I want something that's kind of non-dollar based, you know, outside of the regular investing mantra. So let's buy some gold miners. Now it's like, well, you want that same thing. And let's buy the Bitcoin ETF. You know, let's go buy, you know, all these, there are all these other things that kind of compete for the same little slice of the pie. And so then you throw that on there with the sentiment. Uh, yeah. Again, that's all part of why we're all just so confounded. Now, there are some things, you know, we've talked before about the, I mean, obvious, clear, I'm 95, 99% correlation between the price of silver and the GDX. Hey, something turns it and happens and silver goes to 40, <laughs> the shares are going to go up and we're all going to feel real good about things again. But in the meantime, it just baffles my mind. I, 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 again, maybe these companies are all brilliant executives that make all these, you know, decisions and strategic plans and, you know, and all the other corporate jargon. But I, I just don't understand if, how, why they can't manage all of their, you know, their, their expenses that go into that all in sustaining cost better. I mean, you know, somebody told me once that I, I asked too much of these guys because at the, at the end of the day, most it's like a, now I'm really going to go off on a tangent, but Corey, you're a big football fan. And we sit there and watch football and everybody screams at the TV and they're like, why did that coach not, re you know, why did they not throw the challenge flag? Why are they not calling a timeout? And I got a good buddy of mine who used to play football and he says, you got to remember, most of these head coaches are just meathead former players. I mean, some of them, you know, they're smart, but they're still just former players. And the same thing is true about these, a lot of these mining executives. They're not, yeah, maybe they got an MBA and stuff like that, a few of them, but most of them are just rock breakers. You know, they traded in their pickaxe for a fountain pen and moved into the executive suite. And so maybe, you know, in some cases, we're just asking too much for them, you know, of them in terms of a forward thinker business planner. I don't know. Again, this is big picture stuff on a day when I'm just in a bad mood anyway. <laughs> nonetheless, I think all of that plays into why some of these these shares, like I said, Newmont, I could pull up a chart. I'm sure it's they're not only at the lowest level since. 2019, but hell, you probably can go back to 1999 and find share price at about the same level. So it's just a very frustrating sector. You know, you really just can't sit and buy and hold. You got to really stay on top of things. Yeah, that continues to be one of the problems. But hey, back to the management of these companies. Look, after the last bull market, everyone was saying these companies need to focus on production, build up cash levels, don't go out and make bad acquisitions. In all fairness, that that is what they are doing over this, if you want to call it bull market, where they are building up cash. They're trying to focus on their margins. Percentage-wise, unfortunately, their margins are a little bit off in about that 25% range. But they are doing what the market asked them to do last bull market when everyone said they screwed up, but they're still not getting any love, Craig. So <laughs> it seems like this never-ending cycle. That's why I'm just... Put everything I own into NVIDIA, and I'm just going to ride the wave, man. <laughs> man, you would have done excellently doing that. I'm thinking about starting the TF NVIDIA report. You think that'll have any get me anywhere? I love it. No, I, you make an excellent point. And I don't know. Yeah, Maybe that's just all part of the cross we bear, Corey, is that we are involved in a sector that fundamentally makes so much sense. And it's just, but it's aggravating to watch on a daily basis. We'll have our day again, no doubt about it. You know, you get these, you see the long-term, the GDX, and you get these 
six nine month periods where everybody's excited and things are screaming higher and it's been we had one in 16 we had another one in 20 so maybe we're due again in 24 but just hey remind me when next time we have one can you guys just put a little reminder in your phone to tell craig to try to sell once the thing rolls over because <laughs> next time probably won't be different well, Craig, is there anything on the macro landscape that you think could change the dynamics? I know we've talked a little bit about this in the past, but is there anything that, because we're in a new environment, we're in a, a strange environment, a post-pandemic world where there's all this liquidity. We just had this wild rate hiking cycle from the Federal Reserve. We've seen the labor markets act in a way that is exactly the opposite of what people expected. We went from recession to a soft landing to, hey, maybe we're going to have an accelerating economy. There's all these different narratives racing around. Is there anything you see on the horizon that could shift the narrative and maybe put a little more focus back on resources in general, but also the precious metal sector? Well, <laughs> it is the world that we live in, my friend. And I, there was a reason why I entitled my forecast, my annual forecast uh, last month, waiting for Jerome, because the way these markets operate, run by algorithm, 90% some days volume, all just all just bots uh, until the monetary policy shifts and the theme shifts away from higher for longer to actively, you know, cutting rates and increasing liquidity and that kind of stuff. Here we'll sit. Now, on the bright side, we've gone from, you know, extreme over the top optimism about rate cuts in uh, 2024, you know, when we were talking about seven or eight. And uh, I think, Right at the beginning of the year on January the 2nd, I've got a rate cut expectation chart that showed 100% likelihood a cut by May, that now that likelihood's down to like 20% or something. So we've weathered that, and gold's only off a couple of percent, so that's good. But I, man, in terms of getting the ball rolling and getting through the technical resistance and everybody seeing the clear breakout above 2100 or above 26 in silver, that sort of thing, we probably continue to wait for Jerome. And so we got to watch the macro data. We'll see if the if the employment stuff begins to roll over. If it doesn't, for political reasons or economic reasons, whatever, then we'll just continue to wait. And again, very frustrating for everybody. But it also it just is what it is. And there's not much we can do about it except, like I said, try to be patient, understand this physical situation. You kind of buy the dips uh, when things go down, and then. Again, I hate to say this because people will always say, I've been waiting for 15 years. Yeah, well, so have I, bub. Uh, we're just going to have to wait a little bit longer until things change. Yeah, it just feels like we're in this never-ending fight with the markets, right? Saying, well, it should be going a different direction, but the market's going this direction. The market's wrong. I'm going to be right. And you know what? That time will come. But as you said, Craig, it can be a long and painful wait. <laughs> We'll chat again next week, Craig. Right, go have a beer. I will, too. Have a great rest of your week. <laughs> Thanks for the long and painful podcast. Yeah, we'll talk to you next week, guys.